Go back to that in a minute, because right here, get ready to crack him. Turn around, the megaphone. The megaphone. Oh, Blair's got the megaphone. Savage got the megaphone. Blair goes down. Yes, cover him. Cover him, Macho Man. He hit Blair with the megaphone. Blair still's got some fight left in him. Oh, it hurt him. Oh, oh it got him. Yeah. Yeah, it opened him up. He busted him wide open, baby. He busted him wide open. Oh. Covering. There's nobody there, but here comes hey, William Wright. There's Brad Pillman. There's that loose cannon. Here's the horseman. There's Benoit. Oh, he throws them together. The new breed of horsemen in. Where's Arn Anderson when you need him? Here he comes. Flair. The husband are riding again, baby. Flair has been hurt. Oh, he is badly yeah, hurt. Badly hurt. We're going to need to get some medical attention. Flair, Arn Anderson nailed Macho Man. Arn Anderson nailed Macho One, Kick out. two, three. We got a new champion of the world. Unbelievable. Wrestling up to the end. Wow. The four horsemen have just electrified WCW and the world throughout the world. There was something in Arn Anderson's hand. Look at Ric Flair, he's a mess. Something in Arn Anderson's hand, but I think Ric Flair, we have sent Mean Gene to try to interview him. I'm not so sure Flair can do an interview right now. We wow. have seen wrestling history. The Nature Boy Ric Flair wins the world title for the yes. 12th time yes. in his career. That's right, baby. And these fans are pumped up because they know they're going to see something tonight. Happy New Year, everyone, and welcome to where the big boys play. Welcome to 20 Years of Nitro, our week-by-week -week breakdown of WCW's flagship show, where each episode is reviewed on the 20th anniversary of its airing. I am your host, Tim Root, and with me are my broadcast partners... Super Assassin number one, Dave Amantorp. Yeah, uh, I was busy vacationing in a third world country. What happened last week? And <laughs> I'm just going to let that hang there. <laughs> cool. And Super Assassin number two coming back to the show triumphantly. It's John Amantorp. I'm the Super Assassin that looks exactly like the Warlord with a dumb mask on. 
<laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> well, welcome to 1996, everyone. It is, of course, January 1st, 1996, and we are coming to you from the Omni in Atlanta, Georgia, in front of 6,000 fans, 3,619 of whom paid for a gate of $42,840. That's a, that's another, that's a pretty good gate for them. Yeah, I think, well, Atlanta, you'd hope that they could, you know, be a good draw there. Yeah, they sold half the arena. Uh, that's pretty, pretty, you know. Uh, at, at this point, that's pretty. If they're getting around fifty percent actually yeah. paying, that's that's pretty good for them. Okay. Anyway, yeah. before we recap too much more, I want to remind you that you can find us at Facebook.com/slash Twenty Years of Nitro on Twitter at Twenty Years of Nitro. You can email the show at Twenty Years of Nitro at gmail.com. You can find us at PileDriverWrestling.net, where we are a proud card-carrying member of the OSW Podcast Network. Yes. And you can also find us now on the Freakin' Awesome Network at <laughs> FreakinAwesomeNetwork.net. They've got a lot of good content, a lot of pop culture stuff, not just wrestling. Uh, I definitely recommend that you can check them out. Anyway, with all that housekeeping out of the way, I think the first thing we need to do is run through some Starcade results, eh, gentlemen? Oh, baby. I'm looking forward to it, yeah. All right, well, let's ex- uh, expose how bad I am with these Japanese names. <laughs> oh, yeah! <laughs> all right, we had... Uh, the first seven matches were, of course, the World Cup of Wrestling to determine uh, the superior organization between uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling and World Championship Wrestling. And, of course, leading up to this, WCW didn't really clarify if it was against, like, the organization or really against, like, the country. Right, and <laughs> it was sort of implied early in the storyline that this was for, like, control of WCW, but that seemingly very quickly was dropped, and then it just became about pride, I guess. Yeah. And it's kind of weird because you can see with some of these matchups uh, that originally everyone that was picked for WCW was a babyface, but in uh, since then some of these people have turned, yeah. so it no longer makes a ton of sense because these Japanese guys are all portrayed as heels during the show. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's very <laughs> just a real poorly organized and uh, or- orchestrated event. But in it, we saw Jushin Thunder Liger defeat Chris Benoit, Koji Kanemoto defeated Alex Wright. Lex Luger defeated Masahiro Chono in what I thought was the best uh, match I've seen Lex Luger participate in. It's not a great match by any means, but no. it is a... Uh, the whole time I was thinking, like, wow, Luger is not looking like a complete idiot. So that's a plus. Yeah, and, you know, it's also because he typically faces, like, just Macho Man Randy Savage. And Macho right. Man is not really the kind that, like, makes you look especially good in the ring. Not 94 and 90... Or 95 96 Macho Man. No, anymore. not really. Johnny B. Bad defeated Masa Saito in easily the worst match on this card. <laughs> it was so terrible. And I like Johnny B. Bad, so yeah, it I'm just <laughs> was a clash of styles that yeah. it was chalk and cheese. It was really bad. <laughs> chalk and cheese. <laughs> Shinjiro Otani defeated Eddie Guerrero in the best match on the card. This was a real good match. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Probably one of the best matches of 95, certainly in WCW, that we've seen. Randy Savage defeated Hiroyoshi Tenzan. And then in, uh, so that put everybody three to three. So in the rubber match, Sting defeated Kensuke Sasaki, the man who had defeated him for the United States uh, Championship. However, that was a non-title match uh, because Kensuke Sasaki was refusing to defend the belt on U.S. soil, which will come into play in a matter of mere minutes. <laughs> Sweet. Uh, the triangle match between Ric Flair, Lex Luger, and Sting was won by Ric Flair. By countout, when both Sting and Luger were out on the floor, Sting was pretty close to climbing back into the ring, but was prevented by doing so from his best by his best friend, Lex Luger. 
boy, I wonder if that's going to be psychoanalyzed over the next <laughs> few weeks. <laughs> By winning that match, Ric Flair won the right to take on Randy Savage uh, for the heavyweight title. And as you heard in our audio clip at the beginning of the show there, he won the match with the help of interference from uh, all the other horsemen, Brian Pillman, Chris Benoit, although they kind of they were the Keystone cops. I, I wouldn't say that they helped necessarily, but no. Pillman at least uh, provided enough of a distraction to the referee for Arn to come in with the knucks, uh, the knuckles. They're not really brass, but some sort of foreign object he's been using to punch people he lays out savage mm -hmm. and rick flair who is profusely bleeding um <laughs> from a very deep blade job ostensibly <laughs> caused by being hit by jimmy hart's megaphone yeah um so as, yeah there's a megaphone there's there's three other guys running in clearly <laughs> they wanted to assure macho man that he was going to look strong even in defeat yeah and i i felt like it they didn't give Ric Flair the opportunity to blade in a while, so he was, like, really making up for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because this is the first blood we've seen on the show, and it is, I mean, as you kind of heard Shivani say at the end there, he says we they sent Okerlund to get an interview, but he's not sure if Flair is going to be able to do an interview. Right. And I think that's because they just don't want a close-up of him on camera right now. Yeah. According to Flair's book, Savage took, took a little liberties here. Uh, you know, he's covered in blood at the end after that uh, megaphone shot. Uh-huh. And uh, uh, this is directly out of Flair's book. At Starcade 95 on December 27th in Nashville, I won my 12th world title from Randy Savage. Randy wanted blood and cut me without telling. The only time another wrestler has ever done that to me in my career. Really? Yeah. Harsh. I yeah. know. I don't. I, that's really shocking out of Randy. And I that was like really, really upset to hear that, that he did that specifically. Uh, I mean, I would kind of put that on the on the side of hyperbole. I, I don't believe that like. That's the one time that's ever happened to him, or or if so, for some reason he has uh, something against Randy Savage for in that match in particular, I I don't know why in his like, you know, forty year career that that only happened once. I don't know. I think that's a pretty rare thing for a guy to blade another guy without ever discussing it at all. Yeah, I think that's I I imagine that I would hope that it is extremely rare. Mm -hmm. I mean, the only other cases I can think of it is fucking uh, Abdullah the Butcher doing it, and he's got, like, fucking hepatitis and isn't, like, you know. So that's even worse. Than or what this, was that thing that happened in ECW in, like, 1996 or whatever when the one guy was, like, stapling the other guy's forehead without his permission or whatever? Well, we, The mass transit incident. Yeah, the mass yeah. transit incident is actually different because uh, what happened there is... He had no wrestling training, convinced them that he did, and he asked New Jack to blade him. <laughs> that was, like, admitted. He he asked New Jack to get him color. So uh, New Jack probably went a little too far, but as far as New Jack knew, he was working with a guy who was experienced, and the guy had asked him to blade him. <laughs> so here is just, you know, Savage deciding the match needs a little bit more. And at first, when I heard that, I didn't believe it because I thought that I had remembered seeing Flair blade himself, so I went back to verify it by watching mm -hmm. and no you can clearly see after the megaphone shot savage jump on top of him and blade him like it's pretty evident when you're looking for okay. it okay so you're, you're talking like it's the first time someone like literally took the blade itself and cut him and not just like he he did like the knuckle the hard way blading oh yeah, yeah yeah savage and it's not just that i think flair is used to having other guys work the blade mm -hmm. but but with his permission the issue yeah. here is that flair did not say 
go ahead and blade me. Macho is just like, this match needs some color, brother, and just sliced him open. Which is weird because I think, like, of all guys, Ric Flair is the one that adds blood to matches <laughs> right. that don't, doesn't really need him, especially really late in his career. That's basically the only trick he had and, left. And that's also why I don't think he's lying because he's, he's not shy about wanting to add color to his matches. Okay. Well, I, in that context, I, can, I could kind of believe. I, it's still, I don't know, because, like, Ric Flair is one of those, like, legends that has vendettas against people or or misremembers a lot of stuff. Sure. So the fact that he's saying that now, I mean, who knows what he said back then. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's definitely – it's interesting, though. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and personally, like, the idea is of someone else taking a blade and cutting you is kind of – gross <laughs> especially i mean you're, you're putting so much trust in this person and flair it's not going to be their last match like he's going to have to get in there and work with savage again not knowing if this maniac is going to slice <laughs> open his head because he thinks it's going to make a good moment you know right especially since like over the next like month two months they they pretty much exclusively wrestle yeah <laughs> right uh in another development that you could hear a little bit of in that audio clip uh, f- flying Brian Pillman is referred to as for the first time as a loose cannon. Uh, he he's certainly popping off. It's we're going to see more development of that uh, throughout the show uh, today. After the pay per view, an, an interesting development happened as there was an untelevised match between the one man gang and United States champion Kensuke Sasaki. Wait a minute. This match was for the United States title that Sasaki had earlier said that he wouldn't defend on the U.S. soil. And all of a sudden, he's a babyface because One Man Gang is a noted heel. Yeah, uh, I, I had no idea they recorded that match that night. Yeah, yeah. It's uh so during the match, One Man Gang hits his finisher, a seven forty seven fl- splash, and the ref counts a one two three, even though Sasaki kicks out at the very last minute or very last second. One Man Gang grabs the belt and celebrates as if he's won, but the ref restarts the match, and then Kensuke Sasaki wins. The reason for this was an agreement between New Japan and WCW that provided both companies with footage to claim that their uh, wrestler was the champion. As far as WCW is concerned, they'll just show the match. It, supposedly, it's going to be shown on Nitro or Saturday night. They'll declare uh, that one-man gang won, and they'll just cut off the entire restart portion. Yeah. In Japan, they can claim that Sasaki won because they don't want him to look weak by losing twice on the same show. Uh, so they can claim that he won, and then he can just either claim that he forfeited the belt rather than go back to America, or they can just drop it and never mention it again. Who knows how they're going to handle it over there. Uh, but for all intents and purposes, as of now, One Man Gang is your WCW United States champion. <laughs> this show would get a 0.36 buy rate, the second lowest buy rate in company history. Approximately 83,000 buys for a 1.04 million company gross. Uh, but WCW is happy enough with the undercard to immediately begin negotiating with New Japan uh, to use their stars more often and have a World Cup of Wrestling next year. Uh, so we'll see if 1996 Starcade does feature another World Cup of Wrestling. Can't wait. Uh, knowing, you know, some of the things that are going to develop in WCW in 1996, I think they'll find that by Starcade, they've got other things on their mind. And that's that's really surprising when we've been talking about the Nitros leading up to this Starcade, because by every indication, WCW seemed like they just wanted to cut off this relationship because the last couple of weeks they barely mentioned right the the World Cup and and it sound it sounds like they got both sides got super petty about this this title match thing you know yeah I. 
I, I don't know how it is that, that New Japan thinks they couldn't sell the fact that Kintsushi Sasaki, he's like one of their biggest guys anyway. You know, I, I don't know how right. those, how those two matches would really affect him. But the fact that they had to do like this weird like double result just shows that like that relationship isn't really working out too well. Right. However, some of the wrestling uh, was fantastic. So they might just be so pleased with the quality of what's going on in the ring. And they figure that, you know, they can support the that that kind of lower card match can support the shitty top of the card with Hogan and Macho and Flair, you know, doing the same shtick over and over again. But anyway, uh, yeah. we should probably move on to this episode of Nitro, which begins by uh, with Bischoff welcoming us to the home of the 1996 Summer Olympics. He does quite a bit of crowing about how great Atlanta is, their home of the Olympics, their home of the world champion Braves, mm-hmm. and their home to WCW, which Bischoff uh, says is the number one most watched wrestling show in the world, which is very nearly true. It's almost <laughs> it's true. Not, almost <laughs> On a given week, it could be true. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> Tonight, we're going to see uh, Hulk Hogan take on Ric Flair for the title. We're going to see Randy Macho Man Savage take on Arn Anderson. And uh, Bobby tells us that Macho Man asked for the match with Arn due to Arn costing him the title. So I guess they're trying to explain why, after Starcade, why is Randy not getting his rematch although he does get a rematch on saturday night either this saturday night or last saturday night i forget yeah um he does get a rematch but instead they're going to give it to hogan who a uh, reminder was was is just coming off suspension this is the first day off his suspension and he's just given a title shot automatically receives a title shot i just i i, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this but i just want to say that's fucking bullshit <laughs> <laughs> so the previous week was there any announcement like the match was not promoted whatsoever, no, correct? No. no. I, I think And was Hogan's return even I mean it promoted? couldn't have been promoted because Flair wasn't even the champion last yeah, week. It, so it could have been Hogan versus whoever comes out of Starcade yeah. with the title, but yeah, um, pretty much nothing, right? No, as far as I don't they said in the last show they just said that Hogan was suspended through the end of uh ninety five and there was no indication as to what was gonna come after that. So the WCW Championship Committee was so mad they banned him from the sport for all of about 10 days Yep. so he could go film Santa with muscles. Mm-hmm. And uh, and upon returning, he's just given a title shot. Why Sting and Lex Luger, who storyline would dictate are your number two and three uh, you know, uh, contenders. Actually, I guess they're number one and number two yeah. because Flair is up at the top now. I guess you could argue Macho Man is number one. Um, so why Sting or Luger isn't given the opportunity, who knows? I mean, I know bad booking. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and because remember the 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 Nitro right before Starcade, Macho Man was like, "Yes, you'll definitely get a towel shot," but that's after Flair gets a towel shot, right? And after the Starcade, so in theory, Hogan was sh- should have been number three on the list. Maybe well, maybe well, Flair's being held to Macho Man's commitment to giving Hogan a title shot. I mean, that's that's building it to a degree. Then I guess you know if I was a young fan at the time, I'd think, oh well, Macho Man's gonna win all of his matches at Starcade, and then got Macho Man and Hogan. But the fact that they didn't promote it like heavily right. is just their their week to week missing the forest through the trees type of booking. Arn Anderson comes out first in the awesome uh, white horse four horsemen t-shirt that is maybe the greatest wrestling t-shirt of all time yeah also art anderson finally gets an actual entrance he gets stuck that's in true. the ring so many times <laughs> that's true and actually hearing him coming out to the music looking very serious he looks cool you right know? 
and he gets a really good reaction from the fans too. Yeah, I mean them being in Atlanta and all. I guess that probably makes sense. Especially since like any other time he's not wrestling, Art Anderson is the least coolest, coolest looking <laughs> <Yeah>. guy. <laughs> Macho Man comes out next, and Arn attacks him as he enters the ring. Macho Man still has his coat on as he throws Arn to the outside. They brawl at ringside for a bit as Bischoff congratulates uh, winners of all the college football bowl games that have been going on that day and uses the opportunity to spoil Raw by informing us that the Smoking Guns win the Raw Bowl. Which uh, So because on, on January 1st there are the college championship football games known as the Bowl Games, mm-hmm. Raw decided to have a special football-themed episode known as the Raw Bowl, which was a tag team tournament. And uh, because it was pre-taped, Bischoff was able to spoil it. He also refers to it as the Toilet Bowl. Ha! <laughs> and Mongo refers to WWF as the Kitty Cat League as Macho rolls Arn back into the ring. Yeah, something too. Like, uh, Bobby Heenan just never joins in with the WWF bashing. Mm-hmm. Like, at all. Never that I've noticed. Anyway. I think he's in the back of his mind thinking he doesn't want to make it difficult for him to go back there. Yeah, true. Well, and maybe by this point, he's like, what have I got myself into <laughs> already? And, and also, Bobby Heenan is just like, he doesn't seem like he's a guy that has a lot of beef. So I'm sure yeah. he remembers all his time with WWF fondly. And, yeah. And, and that's just not in his character to just throw. Because their insults are lame, by the way. That's true. They're, not, oh, uh, they're sure. not up to Bobby Heenan's standards for pot shots. Oh, yeah, and I know um, when they sent him off, like when Gorilla Monsoon finally had enough of him in the commentary booth, you know, and he throws him out of the building. Yeah. His suitcase is full of, like, women's underwear and stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so maybe he has a little axe to grind, but. <laughs> I think he probably thought that Valor. was funny. I yeah. Know. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> Arn takes control of things until he fails to uh, get Macho Man down with a sunset flip and eat some punches. Macho Man hits an inverted atomic drop, but misses a follow-up clothesline and heads up to the top rope. He gets a double axe handle for a two-count, while Mongo says that Randy is the epitome of a working champion, despite the fact that he's no longer champion. <laughs> uh, Mongo also warns Macho not to let Arn discover the tape on Macho's arm. Uh, not only is his entire arm taped yeah. up, so there's nowhere to hide this, it's been taped up for literally months at this <laughs> point. Right. I mean, there's a, it's it's enough where it's like how athletes have like those sleeves. Right. Yeah. There's a shitload of tape on there that he should <laughs> notice from the very beginning. Only a KG veteran like Arn Anderson could possibly I mean, notice. Such I'm a not going to go through the episodes, but I would I I hazard a guess that they've been in the ring fighting with that tape on Macho's arm. Maybe in like the World War Three Battle Royal. I don't even think it's their first match with Macho on the tape. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Probably not. Arn has seen this tape before. <laughs> right. Savage whips Arn off the ropes and elbows him for a two count. He backs Arn into a corner where Arn pokes him in the eye before hitting an arm breaker. Arn then starts targeting the arm, uh, the injured arm, including a body slam where he kind of holds the arm behind Macho as he slams him onto it. I think that looks cool. I and, agree. Uh, it's a good example of kind of less is more that um, I really liked with kind of the main eventers where they're not really doing much, but Arn Anderson gets this huge pop when he does that kind of like falling arm breaker move. Yeah. I thought that was really cool. They brawl on the outside briefly before returning to the ring where Arn continues to work the arm. He starts uh, ripping the tape off of Macho Man's arm while Bischoff tells us that the C in WCW stands for commitment <laughs> to the fans and the viewers at home. I <laughs> I made a note of that too. World commitment <laughs> wrestling. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> I, I said it's WCW where the C stands for commitment. No, it doesn't. 
Arn hops outside and whips Randy's arm into the ring post. Uh, Arn Anderson then locks in an armbar for a while using the ropes for leverage. Uh, that guy that we've seen in the past couple of weeks uh, on Nitro because there was two taped or there was a live episode then a taped episode, uh-huh. um, and then he was at Starcade in the front row. The guy who dresses up like Hogan, yeah, uh, who I have mocked on the show a little bit. He is in the front row again. Uh, he's noticeable to the point where Meltzer even writes about him and uses his name, and I don't remember what it is, and I don't feel like giving that fucking Rube anymore publicity <laughs> 20 years after the fact. 20 years later. Apparently, WCW <laughs> liked so much that there was a guy dressed up like Hogan that they moved him into those seats so he would be on camera more. Macho Man works his way to his feet, but Arn wrenches uh, Macho's arm and gets him down again. Macho gets up and frees himself after some punches. Randy then stuns Arn with a couple kicks to the face, but Arn Anderson hits a desperation DDT that looked, it was a great looking DDT. I yeah, thought it was, it I mean, Arn's DDTs are fantastic. But Yeah, I, unfortunately, Savage made it really obvious afterwards that he's going to put his foot on the ropes because he positions himself directly to the ropes. He's right. almost <laughs> under the ropes before, like, he even drapes his leg over. Yeah. Yep, so that uh, DDT not getting the job done, Arn goes for another one, but Macho Man shoves him back causing Arn to collide with Randy Anderson. Arn then grabs the foreign object that he's been using out of his tights, but Macho Man lays him out. Macho Man then grabs the foreign object for another big punch. He stores the knucks back in Arn Anderson's <laughs> tights. Yeah, that was a little weird. <laughs> uh, and picks up the 1-2-3 victory. Benoit and Pillman hit the ring, and Macho Man bails. Uh, the announcers are are really focusing all of their commentary at this point on how evil and crazy Pillman is. They barely even mention that Benoit is there, and they don't talk much about the match. It's it's a lot about uh, just how despicable and crazy Brian Pillman is. Pillman and Benoit alternate uh, checking on Arn and yelling at Randy Anderson Will we see some replays. And then we head to commercial with a little promo that lets us know that coming up next is going to be Chris Benoit versus William Regal. What did you guys think of the Anderson-Savage match? I thought it was really good. Um, the part with, the, with working the arm... It's just, it's classic, you know, Arn Anderson is a veteran. He knows to go do methodical work, and I thought it was really effective. And um, it also, it, I think it was really nice for them to kind of uh, make Savage look strong. Even though he cheat, he cheated, I mean, that's kind of in the Randy Savage uh, character. Sure. Yeah. So and I think baby faces are allowed to cheat when a heel, if, if a heel starts cheating and a baby face outsmarts them, yeah. the baby face just looks smart. They don't look cheap, you know yeah. what I mean? So, I mean, at one point you might think like, well, having Savage out there right away as a former champion is kind of a uh, insult to him. But I just like the fact that right away they kind of recovered some of his, what he lost uh, considering he lost the title. At Starcade. Yeah, and at least they gave a reason for the match, too. Yeah, I, I thought the match was really good, and I like that. I think for every Nitro I've watched so far from up till this point, every single one starts with a match and not mm-hmm. like an in-ring interview or something like that. So yeah, I think that's true. It makes the hour-long shows way easier to consume, so that's cool. After commercial, out with his butler Jeeves is Lord Steven Regal, who will, of course, become known as William Regal when he joins the WWF uh, much later but whose real name is Darren Kenneth Matthews. He comes from Codsall, England, and debuted as a wrestler at the age of 15. Uh, He learned how to grapple and shoot and would take on members of the public in what was essentially a carnival booth where there was prize money if you could beat this guy, Uh and he would just get these, you know, schmucks in painful submissions and force them to give up at at the tender young age. 
Uh, he wrestled all over the UK for All-Star Wrestling, uh, toured the world wrestling pretty much everywhere, and eventually came to the United States in 1992 and joined WCW one year later. By our timeline in 1995, he was a four-time television champion. He would eventually become focused more on tag team wrestling alongside partner Jean-Paul Levesque, who would soon leave for the WWF to become Hunter Hearst Helmsley. At that point, Regal hooked up with Bobby Eaton to form the Blue Bloods, and we've talked about that in the past when we had our, our Bobby Eaton versus Sting match. You know, I kind of now I kind of wonder um, because nowadays everyone knows that that Hunter Helmsley as Triple H kind of runs WWE, and and William Regal has a big role in NXT and like helping uh, train the guys, and I wonder if their friendship like goes all the way back to like that '92. Because, uh, from what I remember, Jean-Paul Levesque had to be, like, 21 or 22 at that point. Oh, sure, yeah. Right. Yeah, if uh, Regal treated the guy with respect and, and helped him come up through the business, I could see that, you know, resonating with uh, Triple H and, and impacting the way that he viewed him years on, down the road when he had clout within the company. Mm -hmm. And also, um, I one of the things I always loved about Lord Stephen Regal not only for the fact that like he has the greatest like f like facial reactions. Yes, I have a note on that. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> but he he has like this legitimate clout as a, as a badass, you know, as a real real tough guy. So when when he gets into like uh like more brawling and stuff like that, you know he can hold his own. Absolutely. Chris Benoit comes out next, apparently uh, having headed to the back during the commercials cool. just so he could make his entrance. <laughs> We've seen that a bunch of times uh, so far on Nitro, so this is yeah. the first 96 <laughs> weird sequence. Sweet. Mongo says that he loves when two evil schnooks get in the ring. And uh, certainly WCW has no real compunction with a heel-on-heel -heel matchup. I know that's something that WWE uh, has always kind of shied away from. Uh, but WCW does not really seemingly have a problem with heel on heel, which I like because you get interesting matches you wouldn't otherwise get. Yeah, and you would, and you would think as heels, and they ha they have no like um, allegiances that they wouldn't care. Right, heels will fight heels; they're bad guys. Makes sense. Although Bischoff, he makes a comment that kind of exposes why this sort of thing is hard to promote because he says. Uh, he tells us that this match is between two guys that nobody likes. <laughs> so, on the other hand, I mean, that kind of makes an argument for why you you don't do these. Oh, I also liked uh, Mongo led the whole segment saying, this is going to be Canada succeeding from Great Britain, my friend. Beg <laughs> your pardon? Want to double check any of those words? This starts with a collar-elbow tie-up, and Regal takes Benoit down. He's uh, pinning Benoit down by the hands, and Benoit impressively kips up easily. Uh, without the use of his arms. And Dave, I know we talked uh, in the car on the way to an ROH show recently. You really liked that moment. Yeah. Yeah, it's something where maybe if you're not paying attention 100%, you don't notice like how athletically tough that has to be. Right. Because he has no uh, leverage with his hands at all. So when he did that, I was kind of – I had to rewind to see if I – it was like if it was a trick of the eye or something like it's that. It's all like core and leg and back strength. Yeah. It is very important. Yeah, I remember reading that Chris Benoit used to do like a thousand squats a day or something like that. So his legs must have just been incredibly ripped. Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of stories of uh, uh, in the dojo uh, with New Japan, and they had very, very strenuous sort of exercises like that. Um, anyone that's seen a Chris Benoit in person or and seen Russell knows that he's like – he has so much strength in like his legs 
like Dynamite Kid was the same way, and that was a guy he really admired. So, yeah, I mean, if anyone could do something like that, it's definitely him. But still, when I saw it, I was like, what the? (laughs) (laughs) Benoit muscles Regal down to the mat, uh, both men still clutching each other's hands, and Benoit starts nailing some headbutts. Bischoff starts putting over Regal, but kind of loses his uh, train of thought as soon as the cameras show baseball home run king, former Atlanta Brave, and current Turner executive Hank Aaron in the crowd. Uh, WCW longtime fans may know Hank Aaron as the man who pretty much got Cowboy Bill Watts run out of uh, the organization uh, after a interview with some racially uh, not uh. well thought out comments <laughs> by Bill Watts was brought to the attention of Hank Aaron. Aaron then personally went to Turner and said, this this guy's out of here. And Turner said, yep. Uh, so so Aaron uh, has a history with WCW and a history uh, in giving Eric Bischoff inadvertently uh, a big opportunity. Yeah. So he's probably like, oh, hey, Aaron, my favorite, my favorite player. Mongo reminds us uh, of Hank Aaron's 755 home runs, and Bobby claims that if Aaron had listened to him, he'd have hit 800. <laughs> so I'm wondering, do you guys think that Bobby the Brain Heenan is the one who told Barry Bonds about steroids? <laughs> How Hank Aaron could have hit, like, one more home run per season, or two more home runs per season? <laughs> Regal works a reverse headlock as Bobby and Bischoff trade impressions of Bob Euchre for some reason. They they really just take a moment to amuse each other in like no uncertain terms. For what it's worth, that uh, Bob Euchre actually called Braves games. Oh, okay. Uh, when they were still Milwaukee, so maybe that's where they made. But I mean, it still was. It's still <laughs> a odd it was stupid, but yeah. Regal takes things to the mat as Bischoff tells us that Regal has wrestled in the tar pits of India. <laughs> uh, objection. <laughs> <laughs> Benoit reverses a wrist lock and Regal does some very impressive ground-based maneuvering. I don't know what else to call that kind of amateur rolling around, but it it looks very good. Yeah. At, at this point, I just I made a note that with this and the previous match, we're getting like lots of really physical yes. wrestling, and that that's always good when they're like really like putting all putting all out there. He ends up on the top of Benoit, where he proceeds to just club him in the face. Uh, and it's really nice to see this kind of match and this stuff from Regal because nobody else in WCW does anything like it. Mm-hmm. His style is completely unique to him, and it's it's fun to see. It's it's uh, I was really pleased with just being able to watch this match. Regal corners Benoit with a couple European uppercuts. Benoit misses a sort of Rainmaker-style clothesline but hits a big German suplex. The announcers remind us of uh, the Horseman's attack on Paul Orndorff a few weeks ago. And they tell us that Orndorff needs needs surgery because of it. Uh, But Mongo decides to take all air out of the seriousness of the situation by saying a little surgery never hurt anyone. And Mr. Wonderful will be back in two weeks. (laughs) What? Yeah. They go. It starts off a discussion about how seriously Orndorff was hurt. And then Mongo just kind of takes it upon himself to be like, next surgery. Who gives a fuck? He'll be back in two weeks. (laughs) Next surgery. Uh, uh, diagnosis here, Dr. Mongo. <laughs> Dr. Mongo. <laughs> Regal hits a very nice butterfly suplex uh, and then gets a couple two counts. He he does that thing I like where he will get a two count and then he'll go right back for another pin attempt. Yeah. And a good announcer will always make the point that he's not trying to win, but that every time he pins and the guy's to kick out, it wears him down more and more. It tires and, him out. Yeah. yeah. It frustrates him because he's like grinding his forearm into the guy's face too. After the last two count, Benoit hits a clothesline and places Regal on the top rope in the corner. He tries to hit uh, something, but Regal elbows him in the head a few times until Benoit falls to the mat. 
Regal is now standing on the second rope facing away from the ring, and Benoit runs up and sneaks under him, so he's now standing in, uh, he's now standing with Regal on his shoulders, mm-hmm. you know? So it's a, you know, electric chair drop. I just didn't know how, if you didn't know what an electric chair drop was, it's hard to, to describe that. Basically, yeah. if you've ever put a child up on your shoulders, just imagine sneaking up under a fully grown man and doing that and then falling backwards. <laughs> Benoit uh, goes for the currently unnamed Air Canada, uh, the, the top rope headbutt, but Regal moves out of the way. Regal then hits punches and goes for a tombstone pile driver, but Benoit manages to counter for his own tombstone, which looked really good. Yes. Regal rolls out of the ring, and Benoit goes for a slingshot plancha, but Regal moves, and Benoit lands on the floor. Bischoff says that he got nothing but concrete on that one, but we can clearly see the gym mats <laughs> laying out on the Only ring. Only concrete. <laughs> uh, but Regal rolls Benoit back into the ring and gets a three count as Benoit is selling that he is completely unconscious yeah. from the fall to the outside. That was cool because I've never seen a match end like that otherwise. That's good, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was I unique. thought that was cool. It made sense. Uh, I, I mean... Benoit is is portrayed as a smart technical wrestler, so maybe it's not the best for his character, but I didn't have a big problem with it. Yeah, that, that's a, that was the only thing. I thought it made him look kind of dumb. Yeah, but at the same time, maybe dumb, yes, but not weak because he lost by a fluke, you yeah. know? So well, High-risk maneuver. The announcers certainly sell this as Regal getting a lucky win uh, after Benoit beat himself with a high-risk move. So now we've seen two horsemen in a row beat themselves, a fact that is not lost on Brian Pillman, who comes out now with Mean Gene. Uh, Arn and Benoit are there too. And let's listen to Pillman excoriate his fellow horsemen for their losing ways. All right. Let's go now to Mean Gene Okerlin. Woo, boy. Right, thank you very much, Eric, and Happy New Year, everybody. Maybe a little too much of the bubbly for Chris Benoit last evening. This was a great performance, but not good enough. Flying Brian Pillman. What the hell are you guys thinking? Just five days after the symbol of excellence sees the reins of power and the world title, we're 0-2? Chris, you were handpicked. You're one of the chosen ones. You're here to win and dominate, not languish in mediocrity. A little dissension here in the ranks. Chris Benoit, you take a, a tongue lashing from one of your fellow four horsemen. Brian, the only way any wrestler can beat me is by sheer luck. That is the only thing Steve Regal had going for himself tonight. My record as a horseman more than proves myself. I've been pulling my weight, Brian. Chris, you're holding your own. When the stretch limo pulls up, Don Perignon's flown, and we're surrounded by naked women. But that's only one half of our job description in double A. Getting beat by a move right out of the horseman playbook. What, what, what is this here, Arnie? What about the hit list? Hogan, Savage, and the Dungeon of Misfit Toys. Art Anderson, we're running short on time. I really want to get your comments. Number one, Pillman, I'm not used to looking at the back of people's heads. But it goes like this. You understand, you've been running around starting fires and starting wars that we don't need to fight. Our job is to protect that world title. Unless there's a pot of gold at the end of that rainbow, 
quick start and the fires. Orndorf, Paul Orndorf went too far. It should have never went that far. Now you want to jump on Sullivan and the Dungeon of Doom? What is there to achieve? There's nothing to achieve. We perish, we prosper together as a unit. Do you understand what I'm saying? Gentlemen, I'm sorry I'm going to have to cut you short here, Brian Pillman. We are out of time. Still to come on Michael, Hulk Hogan, and Michael there. So Pillman obviously uh, not happy about the Horseman being 0-2 on the show tonight. Uh, Benoit tries to defend himself, whereas Arn points out that the job of the Horseman is to keep the belt on Ric Flair. And uh, Arn is mad at Pillman for starting these unnecessary fights, for taking things too far with Orndorff and starting shit with the Dungeon of Doom. And there at the end, uh, the Dungeon of Doom comes out looking very angry, uh, specifically Zodiac and uh, Kevin Sullivan. But the Giant and Jimmy Hart are playing the long game, and they kind of hold him back. So I, I think the storyline, it's never enumerated very clearly, but we've certainly we've seen in the past few weeks, including at Starcade, uh, Jimmy Hart start to align himself with Ric Flair. Uh-huh. And it seems like his, his goal here is to get the Dungeon of Doom and the Four Horsemen together to take out Hulk Hogan. And he seemingly convinced the Giant of the wisdom of that because the giant could have just stalked down to the ring and helped the dungeon of doom beat up Pillman and, and Benoit and Arn, but he's the one holding the rest of the other guys back. So that's, that's sort of where it seems like the storyline is going there. Yeah. And I don't, I just, I don't know if that really make it does. It doesn't seem to make sense to me. It would if the, I feel like it would if the announcers explained it or Jimmy Hart got a promo to explain it more explicitly yes yeah that would have actually made jimmy hart seem really useful because he actually influences someone to do something instead of just kind of walk into the ring with him we get a commercial uh but we're told that after the commercial we're going to see sting and luger versus the assassins super assassins i i believe at this point they just refer to him as the assassins which i think is funny because they're called about eight different things oh, okay uh we, i'm just gonna make a note on that um that whole promo uh, it's 1996, but we are still blocking really, really badly. Yes. And also, for some reason, Brian Pillman was so mad that he had to put on a long trench coat before he came <laughs> out. Because cool. he wasn't wearing that the first time around. Yeah, that's true. We get a promo for Saturday night where the American males are going to take on Arn Anderson and Brian Pillman. And Lex Luger is going to fight Cobra in a uh, five-star classic, <laughs> to be sure. You know what's sad is when I was a kid, I really liked Cobra. <laughs> he's got a good look. Yeah, he's cool. I mean, he was a former number one contender for the world heavyweight title. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the one title match that the Giant gave out. There are not many people that can say that. <laughs> out first are the Assassins, a.k.a. the Super Assassins, a.k.a. the Powers of Pain, a.k.a. the Warlord and the Barbarian, <laughs> a.k.a. Terry Zapinski and Sione Javiahai. <laughs> I'm so sorry to the Barbarian. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Uh, both came through Jim Crockett Promotions, uh, where they are positioned as the heel counterparts to the Road Warriors. Uh, they were then signed as a team by WWF, where they had some notable feuds in the 90s, mainly against Demolition. Uh, in 1992, 
The Barbarian returned to WCW and didn't really do much before jumping back to WWF and joining Fatu as the new incarnation of the Head Shrinkers, uh, but that team didn't last very long either. The Warlord also left WWF in 1992, but he just wrestled on the indie circuit uh, until WCW decided to put this team back together under masks rather than playing off any of their history together. Uh, he puts them under masks and shirts, which I thought is curious, given that the Warlord's whole thing is his physique. That's literally the only impressive thing about him. Uh, so they put them under masks and shirts, ignore their t- their prior history together, call them the Super Assassins. They don't have their own names. They're Super Assassin 1 and 2. They and don't promote him at all either. Right. And they're managed by Colonel Robert Parker. Uh, we've never seen them before on Nitro, but they did participate in the 60-man battle royal at World War III. And they did not win. Right. <laughs> Neither of them have been world heavyweight champion. <laughs> Bischoff says that a lot of beef is coming into the ring, and Mongo says uh, that that explains to the little old lady in the Wendy's commercial where the beef is. And I'm not positive, but I think by 96, that's already a really old reference. And not only that, he has also used that before, too. Oh, boy. He's made a, he's made a mention. Oh, that's right. That was like week two or three. <laughs> yeah. Didn't you say that yep. about Scott Norton or something like that? I, I, I can't remember. I can't remember which why he said He it, said, no, he says, uh, if I remember right, he says Nitro is the best thing on television since the little old lady said, that's where's right. the beef? You got it. Yep, that's <laughs> great. Lex is out next as the announcers are back on the old Can Sting Trust Lex bandwagon where they just talk about that endlessly. Hooray. Didn't we just see at Starcade that the answer is no? Sting cannot trust Lex no, Luger. he clearly cannot. <laughs> he was just reaching up to his friend for help. But once again, <laughs> Sting, the character, is defined by his shitty choice of trust in other people. <laughs> Which is trusting anyone, pretty right. much. <laughs> Sting comes out as the announcers make a big deal of these two not coming out together, even though they've done that numerous times with other big-name tag teams. If you've got two big stars, mm-hmm. they come out separately, and every time the announcers play up that it's a big deal, and it never once has been a big deal. <laughs> right. Bischoff tells us that normally when guys are going to be in a tag team match, they stay together for days. (laughs) As the, uh, but as the bell rings to start the match, I'm sorry, go ahead, Dave Oni. I I didn't have any. (laughs) As the bell rings to start the match, the announcers get a surprising interruption and let's uh, hear what that sounds like now out to the ring together they're there for each other this time uh, we didn't see that like Find that when we won that super bowl in 85 we were all together wait wait wait, wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute what excuse, excuse us wait a minute we gotta find a microphone for the is there something you need here could we could we get a microphone up here please here you go what what do we got going here excuse my friend excuse me for this. i'd like to talk to this man here mr steve mcmichaels I have a plate, and I know you'd understand it. I have make, been making the transition from amateur to pro. I was a five-time world champion as an amateur, and now I'm in the pros, and I need guidance. And I know you've had similar experiences in the gridiron, and I must say, you were one of the best. And I'd like to ask you to guide me along the pitfall in this plate and be my manager 
pitbull, baby. I, I got my hands full just doing this job here. But let me give you a little advice, baby. You were in the car. You were a sergeant, for God's sakes. You know, you're a leader of men. Just go with that. I've seen you wrestle out here. You've got it going on. Just systematically, just like they taught you in the car, systematically take these guys out one at a time. You'll work your way to the top, baby. You don't need anybody else. Well, I'm sorry. One more Roger time. Roger the Pitbull coming out here, and I apologize for the interruption. The Pitbull once again coming out looking for management, but we have got action in the ring. So once again, that weird, creepy fucker, Craig <laughs> Pittman, is invading the uh, broadcast booth for a manager. This time, though, he wants Mongo, and once again, he's just sort of humiliated. Yeah. Uh, last time, the first time, it was Bobby who just didn't really take him seriously, didn't have time for him, kind of sloughed him off. The second time, it was Jimmy Hart who openly mocked his physique, and this time, his reputation as a Marine and more or less as a man is called into question by Mongo. <laughs> yeah, and you get a bunch of cartoonishly over-the-top Eric Bischoff eye rolls during this segment. <laughs> but um, something on the the um, show where he asked Bobby Heenan, yeah. Bobby Heenan refers him to Jimmy Hart. And then later on, when Jimmy Hart and the Giants show up, Pitbull's with him. And then he just doesn't show up with him again. I thought that was weird. Yeah, the, the episode when, when Hogan... Oh, yeah, so that's going right. nuts with the chair at the end. He's one of the guys holding the giant back while he's just watching Hogan run from, like, <laughs> 40 feet away. He, he was, he's just trying to like, do little favors in order to get a manager. It's just not working out. Yeah. In the ring, uh, we start off with Lex Dot. I'm just going to refer to these guys as their old names. I'm not going to say Super Assassin 1 and 2. Okay. And I might You're get it wrong me. which one's which sometimes, but I think uh, I've got it. I, I can say that. I don't think a lot of people really care. <laughs> In the ring, Lex dominates the Warlord before tagging in Sting, who hits a dropkick and some punches, until the Assassins start double-teaming him as Lex stands by uselessly. Sting ducks, one Assassin clotheslines the other. Uh, Sting then hits an atomic drop on one of them, chops the other, and works them both over before clotheslining one out of the ring. Luger sort of sways back and forth. On the, it's really weird. Like, uh, I, I don't know why it caught my attention, but he's really swaying, like very noticeably, like he's <laughs> high or something. Uh, Robert Parker offers a distraction, and Lex goes to deal with him, so the ref does not notice uh, when something happens to Sting. But of course, this is just completely off camera, and the announcers are still talking uh, to and about Pittman, so we never find out exactly what did happen. Uh, but it ends up with one of the assassins dominating Sting outside the ring. Warlord uh, gets Sting in a backbreaker submission until Sting finally flips out of it. The announcers are on now on the subject of Colonel Robert Parker and whether he'll propose to Sherry on Saturday night. The assassins, meanwhile, get a tag and a double flying shoulder block on the Stinger. Sting finally tags in Lex uh, while he's in a headlock, but the ref doesn't see it, and Lex fights to stay in the ring while Nick Patrick kicks him out allowing the assassins to double-team on Sting for a while, including a sort of assisted suplex move where one of one of the assassins suplexed Sting while the other jumped off the top rope and just kind of pushed his legs, so I guess he was being yeah. suplexed slightly I faster. Thought that, I thought that was cool. You did? <laughs> yeah. What is it doing? It's just making a suplex a little faster? Uh, I, see, I thought it was Warlord suplexing him and the Barbarian hitting like kind of a cross-body block. He just kind of shoves his knees. <laughs> a cross body really black cool. is, a, is a generous way of describing <laughs> it. I thought it looked really cool. <laughs> this gets a two count uh, when Nick Patrick finally leaves Lex alone long enough to go count. He kind of actually misses the pin for a while. Classic WCW refs not really yeah. being aware of what's going on in the ring. 
An assassin hits a power bomb and heads to the top rope for a big splash, but Sting rolls out of the way. Sting then hits the hot tag to Lex Luger, who comes in with some punches, an Irish whip, and some kicks until he gets a <laughs> thumb to the eye. He th- some, some punches, an Irish whip, some kicks, yeah. thumb to the eye. Yeah, it's a real... Why, why I he's not I, champion, I don't know. This it's also a, sounds like the best Lex Luger match ever. <laughs> it's a lukewarm tag at best, for sure. <laughs> He whips uh, an assassin into the other assassin and locks on the torture rack. Sting then hops in the ring and gets the scorpion deathlock on the other assassin, and the faces win with a kind of dual submission. The, the dual submission, it takes a while to yeah. develop, <laughs> but the fans lose their minds over it. I yeah, the fans did pop like hell for it. Yeah. That's true. And it, it's like, again, it's a weird ref thing. The ref's like, I'm just going to count both submissions as like the end of the match. This is generally probably a good time to bring it up. It's a good crowd. Uh, Atlanta's always hot for WCW. And for the most, I mean, they like the horsemen, but they're not super anti-Hogan. You know, they're they're a little, it's it's not like Chicago where they're really smarky. So the horsemen are beloved, but it's not just booing Hogan out of the building. Mm-hmm. They're they're willing to go along for a lot of it. So I thought it was a good crowd. Yeah, they're they're probably one of the better crowds for television since it's they kind of go a little bit more with the promoting the right way. Right. Uh, I hope that you guys did not get too attached to the super assassins because we will never see them again. <laughs> uh, the barbarian will turn up again, but this is the last time that we will see the warlord in any fashion on uh, Monday Nitro. No. Bobby puts over how great the match was and says he wants to see a replay, but Bischoff says we don't have time. <laughs> so instead we go to Gene Okerlund, who's... Uh, Gene Okerlund is in the entrance ramp, and this is not a pre-taped show, so there's no, nothing they could have edited out. So that means, as this entire promo is going on uh, with Okerlund interviewing Jimmy Hart and the Giant, the Super Assassins and Sting and Lex must just be standing in or next to the ring because they would have to walk through the shot to get to the back that must look so awkward live anyway uh we've got an audio clip now uh no i'm sorry go ahead i was about to say i didn't even i didn't even think of that i didn't (laughs) notice that at all it's when you're watching a taped episode it's really clear because they always go right to those things but you know that they can just cut stuff so when it happened here in a live show i was like wait a minute (laughs) (laughs) anyway let's go to an audio clip of the uh, jimmy hart promo that we get next Eric Bischoff on Monday Nitro. It is going wild here in Atlanta, the site of the 1996 Olympics. This town is absolutely heating up, and so is Monday Nitro. We've got some great venues we're going to be at in the weeks to come. I'm expecting the mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart, to show up along with the, yes, the son of Andre, the giant, Jimmy, <laughs> Jimmy Hart. The last time I saw an outfit like that, Guy Lombardo was a sideman with the Spike Jones band. You don't mean, Gene, are you really that short or are you standing in the hole? Stop it. Let me tell you something, baby. When I was flying around the world with the immortal Hulk Hogan, at least I realized one important thing. He said, Jimmy Hart, always keep your enemies close to you so you can always keep an eye on them. Shame on you, Hulk. You should have kept an eye on Jimmy Hart. And also, he said, always be able to switch gears anytime, anyplace, anywhere. And that's what Jimmy Hart's doing here in the WCW. I'm switching gears. One night you might see me with Ric Flair. One night you might see me with Kevin Sullivan in the Dungeon of Doom. Or like tonight, I'm with a seven foot four giant because I'm always going to be around. Winners, baby. All right, Giant. Uh, I guess Hulk Hogan has taken over for Bobby Knight in the chair department, as you know. Hogan, time after time, you've heard me emotionally, spiritually. And then when I had Randy Savage beat. 
You came in with a chair and hit me and Horton and Hogan. Your time is coming. Every dog has his day. My life is tonight. You will get yours like you never got it before. I don't know what he's saying, but I get the impression that this man, the Giant, is predicting a victory for WCW World Heavyweight Champion, the Nature Boy, Ric Flair. Coming up, that big match on Nitro. Stick around, please, folks. So I thought that was a pretty good promo. Uh, I, I really like the Giant complaining that Hulk Hogan has hurt him emotionally and spiritually. <laughs> it's really progressive for a 96 promo. <laughs> Emotionally and spiritually. And he's the heel. He's a monster. He's over seven feet he's, tall, 400 pounds. He's a gentle giant. <laughs> also, I, I just like the, the continuity that uh, the giant mentioned. Something that happened like two weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, giant is, of course, pissed because he was about to become world heavyweight champion mm. uh, for either the first or second time, depending on how you're counting. Yeah. And uh, Hogan came in and smashed him with a chair a bunch. So he's yeah he's still uh, pissed about it yeah and and the giant does imply during this um, I'm sure you heard it that it's like that Hogan definitely's not winning the championship tonight if right. there's anything <laughs> he can do about it he's not winning we got a commercial with the promise that up next is Hogan versus Flair uh, the commercials include a promo that lets us know that Clash of the Champions is our next major event uh, it is not a pay per view it's a free televised event. It's going to be on January third, uh, January twenty third, rather on TBS. So here's looking forward. I've uh, I remember the Clash of the Champions from when I was a kid because I was never a WCW fan enough to order a pay per view. Yeah. But my dad and I would occasionally check out the Clash of the Champions since they were you know a pay per view equivalent and we didn't have to pay anything for them. Yeah, I I agree. That was uh, it was a way to watch like kind of a a big show that wasn't. Like uh, twenty at that point, I think it was nineteen ninety five, something like mm. yeah. On there was this uh, Clash running head to head against the Royal Rumble. It might have been because they the way they phrase it is watch this instead of the Rumble. Yeah. Um, oh no, no, it was on like a Tuesday. Yeah, no, but that's on, the thing I was wondering. Right. But pay per views were on weird days sometimes back then. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, Starcade was on a Wednesday, you know. So I'm not sure that it. We'll have to look into that. I'm sometime. pretty sure the Rumble is on Sunday. But. Makes sense. Uh, after the commercial, Flair, despite being the champ, is out first as Hogan is laying the groundwork for what John Cena will capitalize on many years later where, hey, I'm the top guy, I come out last, fuck you. <laughs> uh, I also like uh, when Flair is coming out, you can hear him talking to the camera. Yeah. And he says, I told everyone if I got back into the ball game, I wouldn't just play, I would win. <laughs> Woo! Hey, do we think Nitro at this point is oversaturated with world title matches, like especially unannounced ones? Yeah, yeah, that's probably a good point. You uh, don't need to defend it every single week. I mean, th you would this think is, this is the third week in a row in which we're getting a title match. Yeah, and although I, I know one of the '94 Hogan and Flair pay-per-views got a really good buy rate, the second one didn't. I think maybe Halloween Havoc didn't get a good buy rate or something like that. But you would still think at this time they could have sold pay-per-views with that, right? You'd think, yeah. As Hogan comes out, he gets a very positive reaction, which I was actually a little surprised about given that he's facing Flair in Atlanta. Uh, and then we get another commercial. It seems like WCW's pattern is before the main event, they have two very close commercials, but then they let the show go into the overrun. So, And also, uh, he gets a great reaction from Eric Bischoff, who calls him the man who rules the wrestling industry. <laughs> More or less true in uh, this year. Yeah, he all, uh, Bobby Heenan also says that... Uh, 
like Ric Flair's won the world title 12 times, name someone else who's done that. And uh, he actually eclipsed Bill Russell's NBA record for world titles because he ended with 11. I thought that was cool, hmm. but they didn't mention that. So. Uh, Meltzer will point out that uh, the actual world title count for Flair is 14. So uh, people often say now that WWE is kind of revisionist on Flair's world title wins, but it actually goes back this far. They've been miscounting, you know, going back quite, and it has, you know, I don't know the full story and I'm not going to enumerate it here, but it, you know, it's stuff that he won and then it was given back to some Japanese guy when he let, you know, I don't know the story, but it was, yeah. he knows the story, enumerate it. No, I don't. <laughs> no. no, but then there also be situations where like he would, he would drop it at like a house show, right. or, like on televised show, and then he would get it back before any tell why show could even and they wouldn't really it. acknowledge it but yeah. so some of them count it yeah so, so I, I think it's kind of like it's kind of like the Loch Ness monster where it's just like you never you'll never know for sure exactly how many towel right towels he had but whenever Cena breaks that record I'm just going to remind myself that it's not the real record that Flair actually yeah. has more yeah, the real record <laughs> is X plus one well <laughs> yeah. yes because yeah. well, like some some people claim it's like as much as 25 holy shit so let's mm -hmm. go with that 25 okay to start off with flair and hogan uh lock up and hogan shoves flair to the mat and then hits a shoulder block he chases flair into the corner and they lock up again uh flair gets on a side headlock coming off the ropes hogan hits another shoulder tackle and the dorks uh, and hogan outfits successfully get a hogan chant started like they clearly start it. Dorks. <laughs> We're not dorks recording our WCW <laughs> podcast. With those our, guys are dorks. Those guys are dorks. <laughs> a tenth uh a test of strength does not go Flair's way. Uh he backs Hogan into a corner and hits some chops and punches. They then march from corner to corner doing more chops and punches just in each corner of the ring. They're just kind of doing the all corner tour. Finally, there is one chop too many, and Hogan starts no-selling everything that Flair does, and Flair tries to beg off, but Hogan kicks him and starts unloading with punches. Hogan whips Flair into the corner, but Flair hits a back elbow and heads to the top, where, shockingly, what? Hulk, <laughs> Hulk Hogan throws him to the mat before Flair can execute one of those top-rope moves he's no. so famous for. Hogan clotheslines Flair to the outside and milks some cheers from the crowd. They battle on the outside for a bit until Hogan rolls Flair back into the ring. By the way, um, Hulk Hogan clotheslined Flair over the top, which should have been a disqualification. Oh, that's a good point. Be and I I didn't know for sure. I was like, well, are they just not doing that anymore? Yeah. Uh, no, it happened at Starcade. Massasato was DQ'd for a clothesline. <laughs> just at the pay-per-view. <laughs> but it's Hogan, so who cares? Mongo uses this opportunity to tell us that these guys are beating little snot bubbles out of each other. Gross. Yuck. <laughs> the hell? Hogan gets an Irish whip on Flair, and Flair does his little flip-over-the-top rope spot that he does in the corner so well. Hogan clotheslines him out of the ring apron. Hogan then picks him up, but Flair thumbs the eye and gets a chop block on Hogan's knee. Flair then starts working the knee, uh, and Hogan does a decent job selling it. And uh, they're setting up, you know, the figure four possibility looming in the future. He's doing a decent job of selling it. He'll make up for that later. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure Eric Bischoff calls his thumb to the eye a cheap shark, too. <laughs> Gross. Flair locks on the figure four, but Hogan eventually rolls it over to reverse it. Jimmy Hart runs to ringside and starts yelling shit through his fucking megaphone. <laughs> distracting Hogan long enough for Flair to kick Hogan in the knee. 
Flair then gets a delayed vertical suplex, which gets cheers from the crowd. So they were big uh, for Hogan on his entrance, but they definitely uh, cheer when when Flair hits that suplex. This so I, I you kind of get the impression that this crowd is pro Hogan, but not anti Flair. Right. That gets a two count, and Hulk starts hulking up. Uh oh. Hogan gets his um, typical moves of doom: the big boot, the leg drop, etc. But after the leg drop. Rather than pin, he runs over to deal with Jimmy Hart, who has jumped up onto the ring apron. He knocks Jimmy down with a punch, but he does not see Arn Anderson enter the ring behind him. Arn then nails him with the foreign object. Arn then, of course, turns to the crowd and starts celebrating. Yep. So he doesn't see Hogan pop back up, no-selling the attack. Uh, Hulk Hogan no-sold a brass knuckle <laughs> shot to the face. Right. That's How ridiculous. must Arn Anderson have felt getting that booking? Knowing that he had lost a match less than an hour earlier for that exact same move. <laughs> yeah, that finish is good enough to take out you, Arn. But the Hulkster, <laughs> not only will it not take him out, he won't even sell it at all. It'll just make him angry. Mm-hmm. Arn's, so Arn is celebrating and he doesn't see Hogan pop up. Arn then turns around and Hogan nails him and immediately jumps on Arn, who is down on the mat. And he starts digging through Arn's trunks to find the foreign object. Hi-oh! <laughs> uh... <laughs> Hogan then, in my stupidly, shows it to the ref who calls for the disqualification. <laughs> he wants you don't win a title that way, Hogan. He should have immediately just rolled Arn out of the ring and tried to keep on with the match. Everything about the ending of this match makes zero sense. Yeah. Pillman and Benoit then hit the ring, and Hogan nails all of them. Uh, so the end result <laughs> is all four horsemen on their knees begging Hulk Hogan <laughs> not to hurt them. Four men, four of the best in the business. <laughs> four grown adults. <laughs> begging Hulk Hogan to just <laughs> please don't hurt them. The giant sneaks up behind Hogan as much as the giant can sneak <laughs> up behind anybody. Right. And he's going to hit Hogan with a bar stool. <laughs> cool. <laughs> I don't, instead of the regular folding chair, he has a wooden bar stool. That was a big Kevin Sullivan thing. Like He liked, oh. he liked wooden furniture that would explode when you'd hit a guy with it instead of like steel furniture. Well, unfortunately, we don't even get to see that as Macho Man is hot on the Giant's heels and he uh, holds the, the stool so uh, Giant fails to hit Hogan and Hogan and Macho Man clear the ring. On the outside, the Giant uh, kind of, he like breaks a table? It's covered by a big black tablecloth. Uh-huh. I mean, you have to assume it's a table, but the, if you if you go and watch it, it's a really odd shape. I don't know. It just looks very weird. The first thing I thought it was, uh, it was the cloth when you unveil like a painting. Yeah, and he's like he's threatening to like come in the ring and beat up Hulk Hogan with a table with this big fancy tablecloth br- on it. He's bringing out all the weirdest objects. <laughs> Zodiac and Sullivan push the giant back up the ramp, uh, and Zodiac who is known as a character for only using the words yes and no, is instead yelling at the giant as he's stopping him from hurting Hogan. He's yelling the words friend and hurt. So we're finally getting some much-needed character development for for the Zodiac. Finally, they're going to make money off that character. That big Zodiac face turn (laughs) we've been clamoring for. We get a commercial, and then after Mean Gene is in the ring with Macho Man and Hogan, and let's uh, hear what they've got to say. Let's go now to mean Gene Okerlund. All right, I thank you very much, gentlemen. Macho Man Randy Savage, Hulk Hogan. What I said, this was wilder than my New Year's Eve party last night. Close, but no cigar holster. We know something, brother. It seems like me and the Macho Man, his business has become my business, and my business has become his business. 
And the way things are right now, brother, with Ric Flair, with your belt, my belt, and Arn Anderson as the enforcer backing him up, I say, if they've got any guts, Flair and the enforcer, double-A, how about let's get it on next Monday Nitro, brothers? Wait a minute. Ric Flair, Arn Anderson is a tag team to beat the two of you. What about us, Macho? We got some unfinished business. Me with Arn Anderson and you with the Nature Boy. Crisscross whatever works. Nitro next Monday. If you got gum one in your body, you'll accept the challenge because we're about to trip the light fantastic and we got secret weapons you never even thought about. Ooh, yeah. Macho man. Don't tell the brothers about our secret weapons, but monkey see, brother, monkey do. And next time you get in our way, we might have a pair of nuts ourselves, brother. But you know something, Macho Man? Be, fi, fo, fum, that big, nasty, stinky one. The only way I can get through to him is to get rid of Flair and Arn Anderson before I can chop the beanstalk down. So if they've got guts, Macho Man, you and I are going to go to infinity and beyond next Monday night when we tear them apart, brother. Forever in the day. Problems, problems, how are we going to solve them one at a time? Next Monday is not going to be just a manic Monday. And they've got the guts. Gut check, gut check, nature boy. Let's do it. It sounds to me like we're going to have a match next Monday night here on Nitro. Well, you know, as far as I'm concerned, the four blind mice of Benoit Pillman, Flair Arn Anderson, if they don't have enough guts by themselves, we'll take on all four of those little Shetland ponies, brother. What are they going to do, Macho Man, when we destroy them, brother? What you going to do? All right, gentlemen, I thank you very much. We have got action. Hey, 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 not me, please. Eric Bischoff, Mongo, Eva the Weasel. Gentlemen, Happy New Year. It has been a great one. So there you have it. That sets up uh, next week's main event where we will get Randy Macho Man Savage and Hulk Hogan versus Ric Flair and Arn Anderson. Which, which amazingly makes sense storyline-wise. I was a little bit taken aback. when. And it's booked a week in advance. <laughs> what the <laughs> hell? Uh, the announcers kind of bullshit for a while to end the show, and Pepe is dressed like Uncle Sam this week. But if a reason was ever given for it, I didn't get it. Did you Did you guys hear why he's Uncle Sam on New Year's Day? It must no. be like WCW America winning over Japan, I would guess. Oh, that yeah, that but could be. Maybe that was explained at the very beginning, but I, I hope certainly it's didn't nothing, it. and it's just Mongo being just a complete dumbass. He probably had the explanation and just never remembered to get it out on the show. Yeah, speaking of which, at this point, I want to mention that no mention of the World Cup from Starcade. <laughs> yeah. Not... Not one mentioned during the whole show. Wow. In our Raw recap, as I mentioned, it was the Raw Bowl. Uh, this this Raw is oddly missing from the WWE Network, unless I was just doing something wrong, but I could not find it. Huh. Um, but I did find the results. The Smoking Guns defeated the teams of Owen Hart and Yokozuna, Razor Ramon and Savio Vega, and Psycho Sid and the 123 Kid to become the first and only Raw <laughs> Bowl winners. First and reigning Raw Bowl winners, I mean. <laughs> Diesel defeated King Mabel, uh, and the very first Billionaire Ted's War Room skit aired, uh -oh. uh, mocking Turner and WCW, especially the Macho Man and Hogan for their age. So uh, I'm, you know, you, you guys are familiar with those skits, I'm sure, Billionaire Ted and, oh, yeah. and that whole thing. Yeah. 
You can kind of catch a young uh, Vince Russo as one of the executives in the Turner boardroom. Yeah, super thick Brooklyn accent. Yeah. yeah. So and, and the unibrow too, and terrible mullet, and creepy mustache. <laughs> so it's interesting, <laughs> you know. Lord. They've they've taken little shots at each other, um, but we are now living in a post Alundra Blaze world in which in uh, you know they are really now mm-hmm. concentrating on running down the competition at every every chance they can get. Yeah, I didn't I didn't think of that. It was probably the Medusa thing where that's like as much of a direct insult as you can get. Besides, like just commentators mentioning things, so um, I I can totally I can totally see that 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 this is the reaction to mm-hmm. Medusa segment. Yeah, I I still think at this point WWF is yet to say WCW on the air though. I always felt like they felt like they were above mentioning their competition yeah, but they're, yeah. they're, they're more so making fun of just like the talent that used to be here right but scheme old. gene the huckster nacho man <laughs> nacho man in the in the ratings roundup nitro uh got a 2.5 raw edged out barely with a 2.6 hmm. and the wwf announced that they have signed vader and that he's going to be appearing in the royal rumble so vader uh who would, you might remember was in the opening credits of nitro uh, or opening video, I guess there are no credits. Uh, way back in weeks like one through three, he never appeared on the show, and now um, within just a few months, he's actually going to be appearing for the WWE at one of their big uh, four pay per views. Yeah, I remember. I remember seeing like the the promos for Vader. It's like this. He's like working out or something like that, and I got like super excited about the idea of him being in the WWF and being in the Royal Rumble because like that's exactly the environment you want to see him beating up as many people as possible. Yeah. And do, is you, it, do you remember what the 96 Royal Rumble was most famous for, though, for Vader? Um, Did he wear something backwards? Yeah, he wore his singlet backwards. Yeah. <laughs> he looked terrible. Yeah. It just looked awful. Um, But it's it's kind of weird now looking back because 95, we saw a lot of Vader, and he didn't – he 95 was not a very impressive year for him. Mm-hmm. So maybe, maybe the excitement was over the fact that he was going to a new place and that he might be treated – you know, like well, he's important. Yeah, what Vince has always said about Bischoff is he didn't know how to book big guys. And Vince yep. did, which I don't know if that really, <laughs> if the facts really bear that out. But. Yeah. In some other notes, uh, Nitro started uh, airing in Germany uh, with this episode. This was the first one. Uh, and the WCW announcing team in Germany included a 16 year old uh, who didn't know anything about wrestling or care about wrestling. <laughs> He was the son of a, a German producer, uh, and on the first half of the show, he spent half the time talking about basketball. <laughs> Two of the other announcers uh, had a gimmick feud going on during the show, with one of them pretending to be drunk during the entire show. <laughs> and the first... I, I wish I spoke German so I could watch those episodes. <laughs> yeah, and the first night show they air in Germany, they don't have Alex Wright on it either. <laughs> yeah. Like, for as much as Bischoff was pretty big on, like, making the company global, yeah. that seems like that's a pretty big miss. <laughs> they have they have one German guy. One German guy, <laughs> you know? Also, uh, in a kind of case long since lost to history, on January 4th, Hulk Hogan launched a lawsuit against a Minneapolis woman who had worked uh, doing PR for his Pasta Mania restaurant at the Mall of America. Ah. Uh, she had an, her attorney send him a letter accusing him of some kind of inappropriate sexual incident. Uh, but the letter implied that she'd be more than happy to settle out of court with him. Ah. So his response instead <laughs> was just to go ahead and sue her for extortion, 
um, <laughs> which is certainly a strong way of saying that the case is bullshit. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. if you're innocent, isn't that what you do? Of course, none of us were there, uh, so you know who knows what, but uh, it certainly seems like an attempt to just cash in quick. Yeah. Hey, remember when you sexually assaulted me? But I'll just, if you want to just pay me a bunch of money, that's totally cool with me. Yeah. And then uh, if he's willing to just go ahead and sue her, that's, uh, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I, but I, I had kind of forgotten about that case until I was reading Meltzer, but I remember hearing about it a little bit because, you know, it was a local Minnesota thing. Yeah. Anyway, who, Dave, was your MVP of this particular broadcast? Um, I was in, I gave my MVP to Lord Stephen Regal. Um, he, I think this was his first real opportunity to rest. No, he, I think he had a match before, but um, I thought he looked really impressive. I thought he, he did a lot. Like you were saying about his style, I think his style was able to be showcased really well. Yeah. As as well as his uh, like facial reactions and stuff like that, and he got he got a win over a guy that's been pretty well used on Nitro. So yep, I went with Lord Steven Regal. John, who was your MVP? My MVP was Arn Anderson because he was in three segments, and in all three of them, he put over the guy that was supposed to go over in the segment. So. I'm also going with Arn Anderson. I thought yes. uh, he was doing a lot of the, uh, as I like to say, heavy lifting. He was doing a lot of, yeah, making everyone else look good at the, certainly the expense of himself. Um, and even letting, you know, Pillman sort of look like uh, more of a leader in the horseman than he is. Because Pillman's the one saying, what the fuck? You guys are losing. What's what's going on? This is not what's supposed to happen for the horseman. So, yeah, uh, Arn would be my MVP. John, what was your match of the night? Uh, mine was Regal and Benoit. I thought they, they had really great chemistry considering they, I don't think, had ever wrestled each other before up to that point. And I really, really liked the ending to it. I thought that was good. I'm also going to go with Regal uh, and Benoit. I feel like I uh, probably don't need to say any more. You, you certainly hit all the points. Dave, what about you? Uh, I went with uh, Randy Savage versus Arn Anderson. Um, I, I, I still kind of found the, the ending to the Regal match to be a little weird. Um, but I thought Randy Savage was Arn Anderson, considering that they had a beef with each other, managed to have a really physical match, um, and one that made both of them look pretty strong, I think. Um, unfortunately for Arn Anderson, he, he was made to look a lot weaker later on, but at that point, they looked really good. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for this week. Do you guys uh, have any overall thoughts on the show? I thought it was a... a, a B to B minus episode of Nitro. It wasn't terrible. wasn't memorable. It just was there. It got us through another week. If I had watched this on TV at the time, I wouldn't be pissed, but I wouldn't be, you know, I wouldn't be thrilled. Just kind of, it was a show. You usually like for the like a New Year's uh, episode, you kind of watch to see like because they kind of bring up like s- new ideas or stories or something like that. At new Especially Year's. since it's not only New Year's, but it's post Starcade. It's post their yeah. biggest show of the year. Yeah, and I just I just found it disappointing because it seems like the story is going to be the same story again of every heel trying to do what they can to beat Hulk Hogan. And so it very much I agree. It seems not that anything was bad, but it is becoming a bit stale. Not a lot has changed on Nitro since we started. Yeah, yeah, they're in a holding pattern. I I thought actually the wrestling on the show was pretty good. It's just it was like adequate and kind of yeah, like you said, like filler and. Uh, not particularly memorable but i enjoyed it while i watched it i guess and we you know we started when nitro started in september but had we gone back a little further in wcw and watched since hogan came in he's he's gone against flair a number of times this is not a fresh matchup that we're getting tonight right has flair to this point beaten hulk hogan 
like one single time. Yes, didn't he? Uh, when Sherry threw in the shoe and Flair hits Hogan with the heel of the shoe. Oh, that happened already. Yeah, that's like okay. one of their second, second or Wait, third is match. That Flair is that Arn Anderson? Because I know Arn Anderson went a two-week spin where he beats Hulk Hogan two weeks in a row. I'm pretty sure that's how Flair. We'll look into that and we'll find out and tell you on next week's show. Because <laughs> <laughs> we could just debate it yeah, here yes. endlessly, or we could look at Wikipedia and yeah, remember. You, dear what listener, we don't look it up either. <laughs> yeah, well, you want to be surprised next week, unless you already know and you're yelling at your iPhone right now that these fucking idiots don't know the answer. Uh, anyway, with that note, <laughs> on that note, <laughs> we will see you next week where the big boys play 20 years of nitro and right now here comes billionaire ted's bombshell okay guys we need a new slogan for our wrestling show how about uncut uncensored uncooked ah now we've already stolen that one how about ripping off unbelievable you know like not believable. Yeah, like Ted's wrestling is not believable. Boys, this is no time to start telling the truth. We really need something original this time. How about this is where the good old boys play? Or even just the old boys play. Who are you calling old, brother? What did I just tell you guys? This is no time to start telling the truth. Yes, Nacho Man. Let's fly. How about this is where the big boys play? Yeah. Ah, I like that. Yeah, it's just dishonest enough to work. But what if all our stars have to take a legitimate drug test for steroids? <laughs> you don't have to worry about that, brother, because we're not in the WWF anymore. Yes, yeah, this, uh, this is where the big boys play. The new WWF generation. There's nothing old or artificial here. <laughs>